This morning's passage is from Jeremiah 18.4. Jeremiah 18.4. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hands. And he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. I would invite you to keep your Bible open to Jeremiah 18. We're going to be returning to that passage in just a moment in our study. But uh, while you're marking that place or returning to that passage, I express my deep appreciation for your presence this morning. We have a good audience assembled. In fact, the very first song before the announcements were made, I looked over at Mia and I said, wow, man, you can really hear the singing this morning. And and that's uh, owing in large part to the fact that, number one, you're here. And that you're singing out, you're here with a with the right attitude and the right intentions, and I'm I'm delighted that you're here. For those of you who cannot be here or are still more comfortable worshiping from home, we're delighted that you're joining us online, and we invite you to be as very much a part of this uh, study as well. Uh, when I was, and and I don't know if I'm unique in this, uh, what I'm about to relate, but uh, I can think back over my life, and even when I was a small child. And uh, there are not necessarily long segments of things that I remember, like conversations and so on, but there are what I call mental snapshots of uh, particular events that took place in my life. And you might think that that would be kind of a highlight reel, that the most important and significant things that happened to me are the things that I have still captured on on my mental photography. That is not the case. There's some very mundane things that I can remember. In fact, I like to entertain my mom still by telling her some of the things that I can remember when I was a boy. And she will oftentimes reply, but you are only two years old. And I say, what can I say, mom? I'm a genius. <laughs> no. And then she argues with me about that. No. Um, but I'm saying all of that to say this. If we could uh, saturate ourselves with this passage so that we, we got a mental snapshot of the potter and the wheel. And we realized the spiritual significance of this passage. And we came to understand that we are the clay that's on the potter's wheel. And that a great and wonderful and gracious God is the potter in that particular prophetic parable. I think that it would never leave us and its significance would always speak to us, I think, in a very powerful way. Because the Bible tells us here, Jeremiah 18, that when Jeremiah the prophet was watching the potter, he saw the vessel that the potter was making marred in his hands. Now, that's not uncommon. Even though you may never have been in a potter's house, you probably have watched this on YouTube or whatever. And you know that it's not uncommon that before a a finished product is, is, is brought about, that many times just a small slip can mar the whole thing. And suddenly it collapses in on itself, you know, and you go, that's not exactly what I was trying to create here. But you have to start over. So that was an image that especially in Jeremiah's day was very common to them. And even today, it's something that we're aware of and and we can relate to. And I think the spiritual significance of this passage really speaks to us. So as our text indicates, and, and this is a powerful, powerful statement. So he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. Allow me to point out the profundity of that statement. It is profoundly simple and simply profound. 
From some defect in the clay, the emerging vessel was crushed again into kind of a shapeless mass of mud, and then beginning again, Jeremiah says that the potters fashioned it into a totally different vessel. The entire account of the potter and the clay is a story of intense interest and great significance, as we pointed out. If you have your Bible or your device open, let's read the first few verses of Jeremiah chapter 18. Lance did a wonderful job reading verse 4. That's all we ask him to do. But I want us to get a fuller picture of this wonderful account. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise, and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. And then I went down, Jeremiah says, to the potter's house, and and there he was, making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so that he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. And then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. I'm going to go ahead and read down through verse 10 because it then gives you a further elucidation of why the Lord wanted Jeremiah to see this particular visual aid. God says, the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. And the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build up and to plant it, If it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good which I said that I I would benefit it. I I think that this is kind of a recurring theme as you understand and read about ancient Israel and the history of the Old Testament people. But here again, let's appreciate some some tremendous lessons from this action of the potter that's described in in the prophet's parable. I've got three lessons that I want to draw, and maybe you've got more in mind as as we walk through this passage. But I think these three, we can focus on these, and we can really appreciate, I think, in a deeper fashion, what Jeremiah is writing. First of all, lesson number one, God has a plan for every life. I hope that we're in tacit agreement on that point. That is that God has in mind something that he wants us to accomplish while we're on this earth. I'm not talking about some inflexible plan with no wiggle room. Not something that that God has in mind that takes away our free will. Obviously that would be contradictory to everything that God stands for. I'm talking about a purpose that you and I can achieve that is unique to us and to our talents and abilities. There is something that you can accomplish that no one else can accomplish Every time I speak about soul winning, I always mention the fact that there is someone that you can reach with the good news of the gospel that nobody else can reach. That is, you have an influence over a circle of people that is unique to you. And when we understand that, I think that what we're reading from this Old Testament text takes on a greater flavor. And it helps us to really appreciate why God has a plan for our life, something that he wants each of us to accomplish. And so the divine potter... According to what Jeremiah has written, has a plan, a pattern after which he proposes to fashion this particular vessel. And he doesn't begin, and I think it's important that we note this, he doesn't begin forming the clay and then decide later on what it's supposed to be. It's kind of like the sharpshooter, you know, that uh, managed to, with a bow and arrow, hit the, the target every time. He always hit the bullseye dead center, and that's because he would shoot the arrows first and draw the circles later. 
And that's, that's not what we're talking about here. That's not what Jeremiah is doing. He's not talking about just kind of going in and let's freelance it. And then we'll see what it turns out to be. That's kind of like the story I know that you've heard about the little girl who came home from, from uh, uh, Sunday school. And she still had her mind on, on things that were spiritual in nature. She was sitting at the kitchen table while mom was fixing lunch and, and she was drawing. And mom walked by the table at one point and said, so what are you doing? I'm drawing, mom. What are you drawing? I'm drawing a picture of Jesus. She said, that's interesting since we don't know what he looked like. And she said, you don't yet. When she got through, she, was, she had her image of what the, what the Lord looked like in physical form. That's not, what, that's not what the potter is doing here. Rather, he has an image that's, that's firmly in mind that he wants to create. And every step, don't miss that, every step of the process is wrought to that end. Every move that he makes, every spin of the potter's wheel, all of that is bringing that vessel to what the potter has in mind for it. He has a design firmly in mind. It's somewhat like the, the artist who was uh, renowned for creating beautiful ice sculptures. And someone inquired as how he was able to do such masterful work in creating those lifelike pieces of art. And he said, well, it's pretty simple. I just take a block of ice and I shave away everything that doesn't look like a swan. And, and that's, what, that's what God's doing to us. He's taking us... And we are a construction project all the days of our life. And he is trimming away everything that doesn't look like Jesus. I, I think even though this is an Old Testament passage, we have to understand how, how applicable this, this lesson is to us. And how that we ought to really appreciate what God has in mind for each of us. And how that he has these, this image and this ideal in mind. So even so, the Bible says that there is a divine pattern, and God intends to conform us to his will so that he, we can eventually become the vessel that he desires. I think that's a, at least a part of what Paul had in mind in the very first chapter of Philippians. And you'll notice down, I think, about, about verse 6 where he says that a part of his prayer for the Philippian Christians was that the, the good work that God had started in them that he would, uh, he would not uh, stop until it had been made complete. And, and again, we're all a construction project. We're all in the process of being formed into the image that God has in mind for us. And that's not a scary thing, folks. That's an exhilarating thing. If we're staying on the potter's wheel and we're determined to allow God to make us into the vessel that, that can be most useful and most serviceable in his kingdom, and so the Bible says there is that, that divine pattern, and I, and I hope that we catch that spiritual application of the potter's wheel illustration. It isn't just about Jeremiah going down and, and learning something about arts and crafts. The Lord wanted him to understand this great and powerful and profound spiritual truth. Do I need to say it, that God himself is the potter in this parable? And if we understand that, I think it will make a great difference in, in how we react to this story. He has his revealed will, which forms character. It shapes the destiny of men and women because that's what God is doing to each of us and with each of us. And, and, he, and he's very good at his job, let me say. And I'm not being disrespectful at all. I'm, in fact, being very respectful. It's saying that God is, is powerful in his ability to bear with us and to forbear with us and to turn us into what it is that he has in mind for every one of us. 
Now, Jesus, obviously, is the perfect example of compliance to God's will. We're reminded in Hebrews 4.15, for example, that, that there was no sin in his life. There was no deceit. He never, he never told a lie. He never sinned. He never transgressed God's will at all while he was walking on this earth. And so in that sense, he's the only one who as a finished product was exactly what the potter, and, and that is God, had in mind for him. But that's something that every one of us ought to aspire to. We ought to be determined every day that we're going to allow the potter to make us into what he would have us to be. Not our own selfish aspirations, not just what we want to accomplish in life, but to make certain that our number one objective, our number one priority in life is that God will turn us into a vessel that he can use in his service in the best possible way. There, there was once a kind, Jesus was, by the way, aware of this because there was a conversation that went on between Jesus and Pilate in Scripture, and it's recorded for us in John chapter 18. And if you'll glance down at verse 37, that indicates Jesus' awareness that he had come into this world, and we know that he only spent about 33 and a half years here on this earth. But while he was here for those three plus decades, he was very much aware of the fact that he had come to do his Father's will and to be transformed into the image, to become everything that God wanted him to become. Now, here's the conversation between Pilate and Jesus. Pilate, therefore, said to him, that's Jesus, are you the king then? And Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. Now, watch especially this last statement. For this cause, I was born. And for this cause... I have come into the world. Jesus had a clear image of the image that God the Father had in mind for him. He came understanding what his purpose was. Now sadly, as it becomes more obvious later on in the gospel accounts, that involved the cross. And that involved the ultimate sacrifice that he was going to make for lost humanity. And, and he understood that. And there was even a part of that uh, process where, where he acknowledged that. I, I, I don't, my life is not taken away from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Everything that Jesus did, including the cross, he did voluntarily because of his immense love for us. And because of his desire to see every one of us redeemed and back into fellowship with the Heavenly Father. Basil Barrett Baxter, a renowned gospel preacher, wrote an autobiography. Well, that's the way that usually works. If it's an autobiography, you write it yourself, Randy. But uh, I, I've read that, and it's very interesting, but especially the title, Every Life, a Plan of God. I think that's worth thinking about. That's a truth that we all ought to consider, especially as we're looking at this passage. Here's a second lesson that I want us to identify and focus on for just a moment. And it's really pointed out very clearly for us in this passage. And that is that a life may be marred in the making. We've already acknowledged that to some degree. That is, on the physical side of this parable, we understand how the potter's wheel works. And we understand that not all the, uh, the, the vessels that, that come from a potter's wheel turn out the way exactly the way the artist had in mind. But Jeremiah came to understand that that's true spiritually as well. That there is a spiritual application of that powerful visual image. And, and no matter what God has in, in mind for us, we're, we're still people of free will. We can still make our own decisions. We make our own choices in life. And we may fail to live up 
to God's beautiful ideal for us. That is a reality. Now, if you're a child of God this morning, you're very much aware of that in your own life. And don't worry, we're not going to go around the room and ask people to identify their personal weaknesses. But every one of us, I think, is very much aware of the fact that, that we've sinned, that we've disappointed the Father, and that there are times when we have actually broken his heart because of our, of our transgressions and our failure to live up to what God would have us to be in this life. And, that, and that's simply a reality of life. It's a spiritual reality that we all have to acknowledge. And that's why we gather here on a Sunday morning and acknowledge and express our deep, deep appreciation for the fact that we can come and we can take the bread and the fruit of the vine and acknowledge in doing that that our Savior did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And if we understand something about what Jeremiah is talking about in this powerful text, I think everything that we do as Christians takes on new flavor and new meaning and greater richness. Because Jeremiah wants us to know and God wanted Jeremiah to understand that every one of us is on a potter's wheel of one type or the other. And that we're either going to allow ourselves or we're going to submit ourselves to the potter's care and to his workman, his craftsmanship. Or we're going to keep jumping off the wheel because that is an uncomfortable process. Have I mentioned that already? Being on the potter's wheel is a very uncomfortable process. In fact, if you'll just notice the inanimate clump of of clay that is on on the potter's wheel, that, uh, guess what, in order to, to wind up as the vessel that the artist has in mind, there's a lot of mashing and pushing and wringing and all kinds of shaping that goes on. I don't have to tell you intelligent people that spiritually speaking that can be very uncomfortable for us. As we stay on the potter's wheel, we allow God to to shape us into the vessel that he has in mind for us. Many times, and, and I think that we would be naive to not acknowledge that, many times that is quite uncomfortable. But again, we, we have to acknowledge that even though our lives are are to be subject to God, And if we don't do that, if we don't subject ourselves to to God's molding of our lives, then we're going to stand accountable for that. Romans 14, 12, every man will give account of himself before God was Paul's assertion in that passage. Yet it's also true that there's a difference between a a lump of clay and a human life. Now, I'm, I'm supposing that this is not the first time you've read Jeremiah 18. And especially if you've been a Christian for a long, long time, I imagine you've read this passage dozens of times. And you recognize that that's where the analogy breaks down. And that is that we're not exactly like a piece of clay in every respect. A lump of clay is helpless. It is non-organic. It is an inanimate piece of material. And it, uh, it always has to subject itself to the hand of the potter. That being the case, that that clay has no willpower. It it has no power of choice, no chance to make a decision that will alter its destiny and that will shape its own future. But we do. We, every one of us, have free will. We we get to make the decisions that we make every day. In fact, those are not always comfortable either, are they? Sometimes you wind up making some very, very difficult decisions, and some of them 
or, or, or motivated and incentivized by, by your spiritual priorities. And, and those can be very uncomfortable, especially if you're, if you're swimming against the stream of modern culture. And if you're doing exactly the opposite of what the world thinks that you ought to be doing and saying and thinking. And yet still, as, as, as clay in the potter's hand... Spiritually speaking, we recognize that God has that power as a sovereign God to make us into the vessel that he has in mind for us. Now, again, the question is, are we going to be on board with that? And are we going to stay on board, or should I say on wheel with that? Are we going to stay on the potter's wheel and allow him to mold us and shape us? So maybe we need to state the obvious here. You and I do have a will and we can choose, in fact, as I have preached entire lessons on it, don't worry, you're not getting it this morning, that life is really a series of choices, isn't it? You wake up every morning and you have choices to make about what you wear, whether you're going to eat breakfast or what that will be, and all kinds of choices through the day. And many of them, many of them have your spiritual interest as the number one objective and criterion in, in that choice-making process. That truth is fixed even in the writings of the Old Testament prophets. Let me give you two or three quick examples of that, and then we'll move on to our last point. For example, in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 21, the Bible says, and, and this seems to be kind of the way, this was part of the job description of a prophet. That is, they, they were to go to God's people and to give them a message, and oftentimes the people did not want to hear that message. And yet they still were, were responsible for bringing that message. I believe it was Ezekiel who asked the question of God when God told him to take a message to, to the Hebrew people. What if they don't listen? What if they don't heed this message? And God's response was, you give it to them anyway because they need to know that there's a prophet in the land. You'll find that kind of thing recurring throughout the Old Testament history. But Isaiah, in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, the Bible says, when I, and, and, and Elijah, rather, came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? See, we're already at a crossroads. And he's calling upon the Israelite people to make a choice. Which way, you're at the crossroads, which way are you going to go? And then he, he clarifies what that choice is for them when he says, If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, follow him. Can you imagine Elijah saying, you know, I, I would recommend that you, that you follow Baal. That, that is, you need to make up your mind one way or the other. Because a choice has to be made. And then the Bible says, but the people answered him not a word. They didn't have any verbal response to that. But Elijah it was just getting them to understand that they had to make a choice. And then in Joshua 24, I think it's probably an even better known passage where Joshua is speaking to the Israelite people. And he says, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but it's for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Again, the point is there was a choice to be made. And you and I, unlike inanimate clay, have to make choices. We get to make choices every day of our life. And the application should be clear. We can resist the potter's efforts. We can defeat God's purpose for our lives. We can spoil the design that the potter has in mind for each and every one of us. We can jump off the potter's wheel any time we so desire. But it's our own fault when we, 
When we sin and rebel against God's will, do we make such sad work of our lives, even though God is seeking to make us a great and a beautiful and a useful vessel? That's what he wants for every one of us. It's kind of like the two caterpillars that I've mentioned several times before from this pulpit. They were crawling across a meadow, and one of the caterpillars saw a beautiful butterfly flying overhead, and he said to the other caterpillar, you'd never catch me up in one of those. Okay, you're ready now. And a lot of times we're like that as Christians. The moment we get a glimpse of what God has in mind for us, we're suddenly afraid. I could never do that. I could never be that. God is asking me to do something that is not in my comfort zone. Have you ever heard that one? Have you ever spoken that? That God is doing something that I'm not comfortable with. And I don't believe that God can ever take poor old me and ever make me into any kind of vessel that could be used well in his service. Sadly, some people die with their music still in them. That brings us to lesson number three. Well, before I do that, let me flip over to the New Testament for a moment. You got your Bible, turn to 2 Timothy and take a look at at Paul's inspired counsel on how to be a vessel of honor. I think it's very interesting that over in the New Testament even, there is that imagery that is being brought again about this whole, you're really a vessel that's been made for God's purposes kind of concept. But look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 20 and 21. Paul writes, but in the great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some uh, for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master's for the master prepared for, for every good work. And so even Paul is using the imagery that Jeremiah has initiated here in this Old Testament passage. So don't miss that. God has a pattern for everyone of us to follow. And that pattern, don't miss this, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, allow me to prove that biblically for just a moment. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, 20 and 21. For to this, Peter says, that you were called because... Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his footsteps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Peter wants us to know that that's the vessel that God has in mind for us. He wants every one of us to be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. Romans 8, 29, 2 Corinthians three eighteen, a variety of other New Testament passages point that out. Our quest, our challenge every day is for us to be a little bit more like Jesus than we were yesterday. To be transformed a little more every day into his image. And if we do that, then we've stayed on the potter's wheel a sufficient amount of time. And God truly can use us in a powerful way in his service. So now we know that God wants to make every person into the image of his son. A vessel of beauty and, and usefulness and service. Now, back to lesson number three. It is, it is possible. And, and folks, this is really the good news of the gospel. It is possible for a marred life to be made over again. Because you may be sitting here thinking up to this point in this study, you're exactly right, or Jeremiah was exactly right about all of that. But I've so messed up my life and I have made so many wrong choices that I don't think God could ever possibly use me in any kind of way, much less powerful or otherwise. And yet the whole point 
of Jeremiah going down to the potter's house was to recognize that we're serving a great, powerful, mighty God, and he can do anything. He can even turn you into a vessel that is powerful for powerful use in his service. So that's a third and very important lesson for us. It is altogether possible for a marred life to be made over again. Notice the wonderful message of the text. I just love these five words. So he made it again. Isn't that beautiful? So he made it again. There may be people who are in this building or who are joining us online who are thinking right now, that's exactly what I need. I talk to people on almost a weekly basis who will share with me how oftentimes how messed up their lives are. And many of them will acknowledge that it, these wounds are self-inflicted. That is, they've made wrong choices and now they're having to deal with the consequences. But it is always at least a part of the message that I try to communicate with people who are feeling that way. And many times for just reason is that that is, that is the very sin that Christ came to redeem us from. Whatever it is. But you don't understand. No, you don't understand. Jesus Christ can cleanse us from any sin. He can take any life that is willing to repent, to turn itself around, a change of mind that results in a change of life, and he can use us powerfully in his kingdom. Look at the difference between Peter and Judas post-Gethsemane. And you'll understand how people react to failure in their lives. Some say, I, I can't get over this, and they go out and at least figuratively hang themselves. They're of no practical use anymore in their lives. And yet there are others like Peter who recognize the severity of their sin, the egregious nature of their rebellion, and they cry for a while, and then they get up and they pick themselves up, and they let the Lord put them back on the potter's wheel. And so he made it again. And I am so very glad he did. How grateful we ought to be for God's wonderful patience and for his long-suffering. And I don't want to end this lesson without reminding you that God wants every single one of us to be saved. He is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but his long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter 3, 9. Who would have all men to be saved and come into a knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2, verse 4. Over and over again, God reminds us, I want everybody with me in heaven. I want everybody to be saved. Is everybody going? No, Matthew 7, 13, 14 points that out. But that's because of their own sinful rebellion. It isn't because God doesn't have the power to redeem us and to make us over again into the vessel that he can use. So we're here this morning instead of some other place on this beautiful Sunday morning because of our interest in spiritual things. And because of our firm conviction that God is that kind of God who has that image in mind, that plan in mind for every one of us, he does not discard the life that has failed of its first and best possibilities. And I'm so grateful that we serve a God of a second chance, aren't you? God's always anxious. And he's always willing to, willing to give us that, that second opportunity to make our lives over again. And did you notice that even though the raw material at, at the side of, of the artist, of, of, the, of the potter, was plentiful, the Bible points out that he continued to work 
with the same clay. Didn't get new material. He just took that old clay that was misshapen and ugly and, and he made it again. Two quick examples of that. Israel, as, as we've been pointing out through this lesson, was often marred in God's hands, and yet he continued to work with that nation of people over and over again when many of us would have given up on them. He employed her to repent. He offered her forgiveness again and again. And you can read about that in, in places like Isaiah chapter 1, verses 16 through 20 and, and a variety of other places. But then there's that, that wonderful example that we just mentioned from the New Testament. There's Simon Peter who denied the Lord not once, not twice, but three times. And the Lord continued to love him and ultimately brought him back to his side and to his service. And so he made it again. What a powerful vessel that Peter eventually became when the potter reshaped the vessel and made it again. And even though you and I sometimes are are marred in the potter's hand, he doesn't cast us aside. Instead, he attempts to bring us to repentance and to bring us back into fellowship with himself. Paul asked what I, I think is a rhetorical question in Romans 2 verse 4. Let me end with this question. Paul asked, Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? You see, there are some people that look at God's love, his forbearance, his patience with straying people, and they interpret that as leniency, that God doesn't care, I can just do what I want to do and make the choices I want to make. While Paul says, no, no, the goodness of God should be leading you to repentance. You ought to wake up every morning grateful for another opportunity to serve God that day. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Psalm 118.24, every child of God ought to wake up with a prayer of thanksgiving on our lips. For the fact that we have another day, another opportunity to stay on the potter's wheel and to become a little bit closer to what God has in mind for every one of us. And if we'll do that, then we will, with Paul's firm conviction of the Philippian Christians, allow that that work to be completed in us that Jehovah God has begun. And so I'm going to end with this question. Has your life been marred by sin? And I know the answer to that. If you're in a countable age, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 states that very clearly. And that being the case, our lives are going to inevitably show some scars. And perhaps the flight will not be quite as high as if the sin had not marred it. Because the reality is you and I are always the worse off for having sinned. We do not need to fool ourselves about that matter. I'm not even going to try to get you to believe that divine forgiveness will allow you to forget your own past. Short of a catastrophic head injury, you cannot forget your past. The Apostle Paul recognized that. He always lived with the awareness that he was the chief of sinners. And so you may live with that memory, but you do not have to live with the guilt of that sin, of that rebellion in your life, because the potter can make you again and turn you into what he has in mind for you. And you, you may be thinking, but, but you don't know how many times I've jumped off the wheel. Doesn't matter. Get back on the wheel and allow God to make you again and to what he has in mind. There's always, there's always another chance to make your life over Because of a cross. Because of what Jesus did on that cross. You and I serve a God who doles out second and third and fourth chances. There's always a chance to make our lives over again. And there's no doubt in my mind that marred lives 
can be made useful again. So determine to do the best with what remains of your life. Submit yourself to the divine potter so that the marred life can be made over again. And remember the message of hope in our simple text. And so he made it again. There may be those in the audience this morning who have a divided allegiance. And we're not going to ask for a show of hands. But you haven't decided whether you want to be in the kingdom or in the world. And so you're kind of straddling the fence. And let my admonition be to you to stay on the potter's wheel. Stop jumping on and off because it will only abort the process or prolong the process of being the vessel that God can use. Stay on the potter's wheel. And if you've jumped off at some point in your life and you need to come back and ask for the prayers of this good church and rededicate your life to God, we hope that you'll do that. But most of all, I hope, I pray that you and I will thank God for life's second chance while we stand, while we sing.